Atmosphere Church podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. How many of you love road trips? You love getting in your car. You love going to different places. This is the time of the year, if you think about it, where families are typically packing up the car, right? You're, you're getting the RV prepped and you're heading out for the open road, right? You're, you're making that road trip. Now, if you're like me, you stop at the mini mart before you head out on the open road, right? And there's the must-haves, right? How many have the must-have snack when you make a road trip? You just, you know, uh, here's mine back in the day. See, a lot of you don't know this about me, but prior to launching this campus here, we were uh, leading a church in Las Vegas, but we were living in Bakersfield. So for those of you that don't know kind of the area, it's about a four and a half hour drive from Bakersfield to Vegas, and it's all desert. I mean, the most boring terrain you could imagine looking at, that, that is the drive from Bakersfield to Vegas. And I drove it so often that it would often uh, get to where I was going either to Vegas or Bakersfield and forget like miles that I've driven. Like, did, I don't even remember driving through Barstow. Like, wh- where was, was I asleep? I don't know. So I made it a habit to always stop and grab a rock star and bubble gum. That was, I know, don't judge me, all right? This was survival, all right? This is so I didn't crash my car falling asleep at the wheel. And so I would drink the rock star star and and chew the bubble gum. And it was a must have for my journey. And maybe for yours, it's it's something different. But what we're going to read in the book of Philippians through the, the course of these next four weeks, is that the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Philippians is saying that joy is a must-have in this journey called life. Like you cannot get to the destination that God wants you in, in this life without having joy activated in your life. And if you think about the topic of joy, you might be saying, well, Really, we're going to talk about joy with everything going on around us. Like that is the last thing like we're thinking of. It's just like gloom and doom. The latest I heard, there's a Sahara dust storm now heading for how many heard that it's, it's heading. It's like every morning I wake up and wonder what chapter in the book of Revelation we're in. Right. It's like what what is happening now? But as I look at it as a pastor, I can't think of a better time for us to talk about joy than in the season that we're in right now. This is the the time, this is the moment where we need to be thinking about joy. But what is joy? Because for some of you, when you hear the word joy, immediately you go to Hallmark Christmas movies. 
your hot cocoa, your little blanket. You're just there. You're just like, mm, I'm in my Christmas feels, you know, joy. You got a lot of people, because joy is such a part of the Christmas story, it's like become a brand in the Christmas season, but it's more than a Christmas brand. I would even go as far as to say it's more than an emotion. A lot of people look at joy as this emotion that you feel. And and what we read about in the Bible and what we really see unpacked by the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians is joy is much more than an emotion. It's an attitude. How many of you, let's be honest, over the last three or how many months have we been in this season have been guilty of having maybe a bad attitude. Come on. Yeah, if you're married to somebody and they're not raising their hand, you can say, hey, I I live with you. (laughs) All of us, all of us probably have been wrestling with some bad attitudes. When I think of bad attitudes, I I think of that that, uh, cat cartoon character Garfield. How many remember Garfield? I mean, talk about a cat with an attitude, or as we like to call catitude, right? Garfield, I love this one. When life hands you lemons, squirt them in people's eyes. He just had an attitude. And some of you, you struggle with attitude more than others, but let's be honest, as, as humans, we all struggle at some point, at some level, with attitude. But what we know to be true is life is all about attitude. It's all about attitude. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, one of the many benefits that we have happened to us because of the Spirit of God coming and living on the inside of us is that we have access to an attitude upgrade. How many of you would love an attitude upgrade? And the the way God gives us this attitude upgrade is he uses the power of joy. And joy comes in our life, and it helps shift us into a new level of attitude. This is how I I really like to say it through the series, is joy is not an emotion you feel, but rather an attitude that you choose. And God gives us the capacity and the strength to be able to choose joy despite the circumstances that you may be going through. That's what we're talking about when we study the book of Philippians. Have you ever met somebody that has what you would call a next level attitude? A good attitude. You know, because you, you know you can have a good attitude or a bad attitude. And, and can I just tell you right now, I believe attitudes are more contagious than a virus. You know that, right? You, somebody wakes up in your house and they have a bad attitude and they come out of their bedroom. Everyone else was just singing Disney songs before that person came out of the bedroom. And it's just like there was a dark cloud that came with them into the living room. And now everybody has a dark cloud over them. How many have had a moment like that in your home? It's like attitudes are contagious. But I, I can think of a, a handful of people in my life that have had good attitudes, attitudes that have been very contagious in a good way. There was a a gentleman by the name of Steve Horner that I met when I was early in my ministry years. I was a youth pastor. We were sending teams of teenagers into Mexico to do some outreaches at an orphanage that Steve Horner led called Rancho de Sus Niños. 
an amazing orphanage. He had hundreds of kids there. And the first time we, we met Steve, we met him in San Diego. And he was going to take us in because of where the orphanage was on these dirt roads in Mexico. And we met this guy, and he just was just a bundle of joy. He, he was like a, a poster child for joy. We met him, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm so glad to see you guys. And he just had this, this infectious laugh. He just like, ha, 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 And I'm not even exaggerating. It was like that, that pronounced. Like, what is this guy on? He's just a, at another level. And so we would go into the orphanage. And when I first met him, I just thought his life was just had to be just this like picture perfect life. But as we did more and more trips down to Rancho de Sus Ninos, I realized that this guy had all kinds of headaches that he was trying to navigate through. He, he had problems with the government. He had problems with, with being accused of, of abusing kids. And, and uh, he would have to pay people off. A lot, a lot of corruption uh, was happening against his orphanage. Uh, uh, people that would you know, volunteer to do things and then not show up and, and pledge to give money and not give the money. And so he, he had problem after problem. But no matter what problem he would tell me about, and we would be talking about, he always ended it like this. But you know, God's going to take care of us. <laughs> and, and God always did. He always would. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. And we need some more Steve Horners in this world. And I propose to you, as we get into the book of Philippians, that the same joy that Steve Horner possessed, that, that infected me and impacted me is the same joy that God wants us to possess. And the Apostle Paul, before I even go into the book of Philippians, we, we have to know what qualified him to talk so much about joy. Do you know in these four chapters, the word joy or the word rejoice happens 16 different times in these four little chapters. It, it was woven into everything that he would say. And you, you know, like reading the book of Philippians, not knowing the background of the Apostle Paul, you would get the idea that this guy was probably on the beach at Malibu, like, you know, with some suntan lotion on, with a little drink in his hand, with his feet kicked up in his chair going, yeah, bro, just be joyful. But that's not the context. He was in prison. He was incarcerated. And not only was he incarcerated writing this letter, he had all kinds of difficulties breaking loose around his life. He was being falsely accused. He was being beaten up. He was being uh, put in situations where friends and associates that had been with him in, in throughout his entire life were, were turning on him and walking away from him. People were jealous of him. He writes in this other letter to the Corinthian church, he writes this to describe kind of his environment, his season of life that he was going through. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Yet, he has an attitude of joy in the journey. We hear this term goat thrown around a lot, especially in the realm of athletics. 
I believe that Paul was the GOAT, the greatest of all time when it came to the subject of joy. And this is important for us to look at because one of the core values of our church is choosing joy. Like if you're new to our church, you're like, what, what are you guys all about? And we're all about Jesus. But one of the ways that we are all about Jesus is we have these core values that, that we really want to instill in everything that we do. And that is we love God. We love people. We pursue excellence. And no matter what, we choose joy. It's a, it's a part of who we are. Now, as we look at this letter that Paul writes, I, I want you to just see in chapter one, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And the next week we'll talk about chapter two. But chapter one specifically, I believe we can see three major components that are giving Paul the fuel to be able to live a life of joy in his journey. And, and I believe as we add these components to our lives, it's going to be so much easier for us to choose joy and no matter what season that we're currently going through. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Here's the first one, and it's pure devotion to Christ. In spite of the difficulties that, that Paul's going through, he's in prison, remember, he's rejoicing. And one of the things that we see is the secret of his joy is what I call a Jesus-centered lifestyle, a Jesus-centered lifestyle, where he lives for Christ and the gospel. 18 different times in the book or in chapter one, it mentions the name Christ. There was a pure devotion in Paul's life and pure in, in biblical terms means unmixed. That means that, that Paul lived a life in Christ where Jesus wasn't just part of his life, that Jesus was his life. He wasn't a spoke on the wheel. He was the hub that all the spokes came from in order for him to live out his life. See, here's the reality. That God knows that we have to do other things in this life other than obviously have a relationship with him. We have to have a job. We have families. A lot of us, we have hobbies. We have friendships. And it's not that, that when you surrender your life to Christ and you start following Jesus, you're supposed to just ignore all those other components of your life. That, that's never what the gospel tells us to do. What we read in the Bible is that we are to take Jesus and we are to make him the hub of our life so that Jesus is at our job. Jesus is with our family. Jesus is with our hobby. Jesus is part of my friendships. That Jesus is the epicenter of who I am. And Paul lived his life like this and so it was much easier for him, no matter what circumstance he found himself in, to be able to lean in and to choose joy despite his circumstances. This is one of those Verses probably that you've heard, maybe even as a young person you memorize. It's kind of a shorter verse of the Bible, but it really summarizes this principle that I'm giving you. And it says in verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His whole life revolved around the gospel. It was centered around glorifying Jesus and sharing his faith with other people. He says... <laughs> If I can't do that, I would just rather be dead. 
See, here's how I like to say it. The source of your life determines the value of your death. He didn't fear death. He wasn't scared of it. He didn't look at it and like, oh man, I don't want that to happen to me. He's like, no, I embrace it because I have a solid relationship with Jesus where I'm leveraging everything in my life for Jesus because Jesus is the main ingredient for the life to come. Without Jesus, I really don't have a hope of the future. We have a saying around here that, that your best is yet to come. Because why? Because heaven is waiting all followers of Jesus. So Paul's saying, if I know that even if I hand sanitize myself until I'm 100 years old, eventually I'm checking out of this world no matter what. And it's really true. Nobody gets out of here alive. It just happens. Whether it's a virus, whether it's old age, None of us escaped it. So Paul's saying, I, I, I am living my life so centered on Jesus. When the inevitable happens to my life, I'm not going to sweat it. The source of your life determines the value of your death. And how do you know that Jesus is the center of your life? It's really easy. Fear isn't getting the best of you. Now, fear is a part of all of our lives. It's a mechanism that that I believe was God-given so that we can keep ourselves out of dangerous things. But you know normal fear from broken fear. Broken fear just paralyzes you. And I'm not talking about anxiety because anxiety is a different topic. I'm talking about just fear in general. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So if fear is something that is dominating your life, what that is an indicator of is that Jesus is more than likely not at the epicenter of your life. That maybe you are like a lot of American Christians, that Jesus is a part of your life. He's he's this area of your life, but, but you have this ability to put Jesus here, your job here, your family here, your hobbies here, your entertainment choices here, and it's just kind of all like, I'm going to choose this, I'm going to choose that. Most American Christians live their Christianity that way and wonder why they feel far from God. It's all dependent on how you are treating Jesus. If Jesus is the epicenter and you haven't compartmentalized your faith, then it's going to be a lot easier to live in a position where you choose joy, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here, here's the second point that I, I can really see that helped Paul choose this attitude of joy, partnership with other believers. This is important. So not, not just pure devotion to Christ where you're unmixed, you're not mixing with other things, you're, you're keeping yourself pure and, and devoted to Christ, he's the epicenter, but it's also partnership with other believers. If you read chapter one, he gives some major kudos to the church at Philippi saying, man, you guys have been there for me. You guys have helped me out in so many ways. We know from his other letters that uh, the Philippians took love offerings. They, took, uh, they did fundraisers. They, they had a GoFundMe account for the Apostle Paul and what he did and, and to bring back offerings to Jerusalem. They helped him with his legal matters because he was all, always in trouble with the law. And so they helped him there with that. They were just there just to be with him while he was in prison, while he was incarcerated. You know the value of a friendship when, when trouble hits your life, don't you? It's like if trouble hits your life, you know the value of a friendship because 
you know the right people to call. Who's the first person to call? Because that indicates how much value you know that they have in you and you and them. And so you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call them. Paul says, you, you guys have a partnership with me. That word in the Greek is the word koinonia. And it's the word that we get the word fellowship from. And it's a powerful word because what, what Paul is telling us is there is value in this connection, in the shared life together, that it helps you choose an attitude of joy. See, it's comforting to know that God is with us, isn't it? I mean, oh yeah, you know, you can hear a pastor say that, you can hear a, a person of faith say, God is with you. And then, I mean, that has substance. You go, yes, thank you for reminding me. God is with me. But it just gives it that much more substance when you say, God is with me, and so are my friends. So are these people. Partnerships are so valuable, especially when trouble breaks out in your life because you're like, whoa, okay, this is happening, but I can still choose joy because I'm not facing this trouble by myself. You know, our church has several partnerships, even at the church level, like Atmosphere Church. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for partnerships that we have with other ministries. One of the partnerships that really helped launch Atmosphere Church is a church up north called Brave Church with my friends uh, uh, Darren Laws and his son Samuel Laws, who have become really good friends, and they helped us launch this church. I kind of consider them like, like uh, parents to, to who we are as a, as a baby church. Somebody called us Baby Brave because they were so instrumental in helping us launch this new church. And, and Darren Pastor down here uh, for a few years. Then we have another partnership with my wife's dad's church, which is a mega church in Bakersfield. And he has been such a blessing. Obviously, he was my spiritual dad. He helped raise me up in my faith and taught me how to hear God's voice and walk with faith. And just an amazing man of God. But, but on top of that, when we launched our church, he says, I'm going to continue to cover your salary so that you and Tara can, can not be distracted by, by where money's going to come from. Like, I want you to focus on, on getting this church launched. It's amazing. Amazing man of God, amazing church family. Even our church that we came from in Vegas that I pastored there and led that church for 10 years, they're still active in my life. Pastor Doug and Vicki, who were my associates that took over are now the lead pastors. They still actively are there for my wife and I. They pray for us and counsel us. They are our battle buddies. And these partnerships are so essential for us as a church. And not only do we have partnerships with, with people that have helped us, but we have local partnerships with other fellowships in, in, in Thousand Oaks. Uh, I've met some great pastors since we've been here that three years ago, I didn't know these guys existed, but they are amazing men of God that I now call brothers of other, other mothers. They're my brothers of other mothers. The, these guys are in the trenches and we're praying together and we're planning together ways that we can be unified more as a local church body and be one church. Then we have our national church partnership through what's called ARC. It's the Association Related Churches. And we are partnering with other church plants across the nation uh, that are planning. Right now, I believe there are over 900 new church plants that ARC has been a part of. And we sow into our budget every month to help plant new churches across the nation. And then we globally partner with churches. And we have one church in particular that we've partnered with ever since I was leading the church in Vegas in Lusaka, Zambia, Pastor Ernest and Laika. Some of you give monthly to help us with some of the students at the school. These guys started a church 
in one of the poorest areas of Lusaka, which is the capital uh, city right there in Zambia. And very poor conditions. And they started this church in, in basically what would be the slums of the area. And they started a school because some of the orphans that were coming to their house, they said, we should start a school. They didn't have any money. They just trusted God. And God just kept sending them people to help sponsor them. We, we started partnering with them back, I think it was in 2009. They had 80 kids enrolled in their school. Now, because of our partnership, they have over 500 students that they're educating and discipling for Christ through their church, which is in the slums of Lusaka, Zambia. Come on. That is powerful stuff. And it's all because of partnerships. Let me ask you a question. Who are you in partnership with? Because if you want to choose the attitude of joy, it's going to be so much easier to choose that attitude of joy when you have the right partnerships in your life. Let me read you a passage of chapter one. Verse 23, it says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. He says, if it were left up to me, I would check out. I, I would just go to be with God. He wrote another letter to the Corinthian church. He says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, if it were left up to me, I'd check out. But here, I know something. You guys need me. Heaven is waiting for us, but people need us. So I know that God's going to keep me here. Can I ask a question? Why is God keeping you here? There are people that God has placed in your life and he's called you to help them. I believe he's divinely put you at your jobs. He's divinely put you in neighborhoods. He's divinely put you in places of influence so that you could be a vessel of heaven to help somebody. And possibly that, my friends, is the reason that you're still on planet Earth. You're here to help somebody. Paul says, my partnership to help people is what's really given me the sense of joy and the sense of purpose that people need me. And it's great to feel needed. And I will tell you, one of the best feelings that can happen to your life is when God uses you to help another human being. You know, it's called, in science, it's called the helper's high. It's a real, it's a dopamine thing that happens in your body. It's, it's a real chemical reaction when you help people. But when you help people spiritually, I believe it's next level. I even had a, a situation this week. It was so cool. Like God has brought us a lot of young adults in our new church. And it's awesome to see God is doing a movement with young people. I mean, we, we have, we, we are like so multi-generational. It, it's, it's amazing to, to be able to see what God's doing in our new church. But it's a lot of young adults. And God is just using us in the season age that we are now in to minister to younger adults. And I was at the studio. We had been moving all week to a house that we're now living in Thousand Oaks. And I'm tired. I need to like just go get into the studio, go try to figure out what, what we're going to do this weekend and, and, and plan. And I get there and a young adult comes in and says, I saw your car. I just felt led to come in here. I just need somebody to talk to. And man, we start talking. I start praying. And I know, I know he needed some of the things that I said. But you know, when he left, I think I was more blessed than he was. 
because I, I, it was a God story now. I'm like, man, if he would have come five minutes earlier, I wouldn't have been there. If he would have come 30 minutes later, I would have been gone. It was like the, the divine providence where, where our, our time intersected just so perfectly that he came in and I had this moment. Where I was like, wow, God, this feels so good. I'm telling you, when God uses you and you walk in God stories, man, it will help you choose joy in whatever season you're walking in. Turn to your neighbor and say, choose joy. That was weak. Say, choose joy. Come on. All right. There we go. That's better. You're the later service. You slept in. You should, you should have another le level of volume in your voices. All right. Verse 27. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You know, I love that phrase striving together. This is where we get our English word athletics from. Paul is saying what I see the value in the church at Philippi is I see a team. I see a team. Paul pictures church as a team that Christianity was never designed to be a solo sport. It's a team sport. And you're supposed to be a part of a team. And for you to thrive and to be at your best in your faith, then you have to have a team around you in order for you to soar and to make it easier for you to choose joy in what season that you're going through. Now, through a church like, like us, because you come to a, a Sunday morning gathering, and, and I'll just tell you right now, it's going to be hard to find your team at a Sunday gathering like this. It's not impossible. It's just a little bit more difficult because, you know, everyone's with their families and kind of, you know, minding social distance. So, so Sunday mornings are, are really about you knowing God and experiencing God. But if you really want to find your team, the church is the best place to do it. At, and the best ways that you're going to do it through our church is through life groups and serve teams. Two ways, two methods. So what is a life group? I, t I talked to you on the, the announcement side. A life group is where we circle up about with, with 10, 8 to 10 other people in the church. And, and we start maybe uh, going over like questions from the, the Sunday message. We start getting into a Bible study. We start getting into topics and, and talks where pretty soon like the guards are being dropped and relational equity is, is being built and trust is being formed where you get past the smile you know, that you see on people's faces when they come to church on a Sunday morning, and, and you're like, no, dude, I, I know what's really going on in your family, dude. Like, yeah, come on. It, it is so true that everyone is struggling with an issue that you know nothing about. Do you, do you know that? Everybody is. And so in life group, you start really kind of knowing like, I had no idea that was going on in your life. But life group is where you find your team. You find people that you can trust, people that you can partner with and say, man, I know that this person is genuinely in my life to try to help me. The other way is through a serve team. You know, of course, it's kind of weird now that we're meeting outside and, and a lot of the things that we normally get to do as a church, we're not even two years old yet, but a lot of the things that we're already doing right now, we're trying to have to kind of reinvent ourselves. But there's two serve teams that are active right now that you could jump on and start meeting people is our setup teardown team that come here early in the morning, set it up. We feed them breakfast burritos or breakfast sandwiches. I mean, some good food. 
all right, and good fellowship. Uh, but then they help us break it all down. It's awesome. And then we have our, our guest services team that's just there to just say hi to people. Because one of the things that God showed us in coming to this area is that we need to be a church full of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And one of the ways we're going to do that is greet every single person that walks up these, that, this sidewalk so that they know that they're loved and they, they have unsurpassable worth by God. So you get on a serve team. And then you start getting to know people that you're serving with. Hey, man, what's your story? Like, hey, well, how, how long have you followed Jesus? How long have you been part of Atmosphere Church? And then pretty soon, the, the shields start going down. And the relational equity starts going up. And the trust starts being built. That's what finding a team is all about. And once you find a, a safe place, a team that is the right kind of team, what you find is someone is always available to your life when you have an issue. You know, I, I, I want you to know I'm available for you guys. One of the cool things about having a, a, a smaller church or a, a new church is that the pastor's pretty available. Uh, I don't have security guards yet, you know? I shouldn't say that, right? Um, but, but anyway, you, you know, it's just like sometimes it can get so big and just so... I'm here for you guys. This is one, one of the, the cool things about being a part of a new church plant like this, uh, that we're available. Tara and I are available to you guys. However, we're not always available. We have things we got to do and places we got to go too. So I can't literally, I can't call every one of you every week and say, how are you holding up? I want to. My desire is, and as the Holy Spirit reminds me, I'll call somebody and I'll say, hey, the Holy Spirit reminded me to call you or, or text somebody a verse. But if we all kind of looked at it as our responsibility to make ourselves available to other people, then pretty soon all of us have like five numbers on our phones that no matter what we're going through, one out of five people is going to pick up their phone. One out of five people is going to respond to my text. You know what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Like, we have to be intentional to form partnerships in our life for it to be easier for us to choose an attitude of joy. And here's the third component that we see in Paul's life is progress in your faith. Progress in your faith. He mentions this several times in this chapter. He, he talks about progress. He talks about in, in verses um, uh, 12 and verse 25 saying, man, guys, what makes me joyful is knowing that, that God has developed you guys. Like I see progress in you. I see progress in the church. I see progress in me. And we all know kind of progress pictures, right? We see them on social media. You see the before picture where somebody posts it like, you know, before, you know, the diet, you know, uh, a month after COVID when we we're all living on pasta. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know, the COVID-19 pounds, that's a, it's been nicknamed. Like the gyms are closed. So, so we got the before picture and then we post the after picture of like once we started kind of working out and we started exercising. You, you know that feeling, right? Where you measure your weight and you start dieting and you get back on the scale and the scale tells you you've lost five pounds, you lost 10 pounds. I mean, that joy, you could feel I go, yes, you find your inner tigger. <laughs> yeah, I'm losing weight. You know, so you walk somewhere, you've been working out. Somebody's like, hey, bro, you're looking swole. You're like, oh, yeah, I've just been working out, you know, a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. And what does that do? It, it motivates you 
to keep working out. It motivates you to keep on going and it gives you joy that as you look at the pictures of who you used to be, you know you no longer look like that anymore. And how much greater is it to measure our spiritual progress? I'm a big fan of forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And Paul, when he writes this letter, he's thinking of a goal. He's thinking of destination. Like, this is where we're going. And a destination gives you the ability to measure progress. It gives you the ability to say, we're, we're almost here. And measuring spiritual progress is so important. So, so I'm all about like, yeah, don't, don't dwell on the past. There's a reason the rearview mirror is so much smaller than the windshield in front of you. Why? Because it's so much more important to look forward than it is to look back. However, I want us to just evaluate and celebrate the progress that we've made with our faith. Now, this is what's happening with Paul. When you, when you stop and you celebrate like, whoa, man, God is changing my life. Whoa, old habits that I used to struggle with and I, and I couldn't get away from. Now, nah, you don't even tempt me anymore. They're like so far gone. Whoa, I'm seeing God move in my life. Like, wow, I'm having divine God stories show up in my life. I hear God speaking to me through his Holy Spirit. I, I call it being on the highway to heaven, right? You're, you're on the highway and you see the mile markers and you're like, whoa, I'm making progress. And you rejoice over that. And that brings in a whole you know, level of motivation and confidence. And Paul, you see confidence. Check this out. Verse 6. This is one of those other f- famous verses from Philippians. I'm going to read from the Amplified Translation. It says, I'm convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. When we give our lives to Christ, he's pushing us to the destination where old things are being purged from us and new things are being deposited in us so that we are changing from glory to glory because here's the truth. Here's the PowerPoint. I'm not yet what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. How many are with me on that? I'm not what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. How many can say amen to that? As you look back at your life, go, whoa, man, I'm thankful I'm not where I used to be. See, here's the thing. The devil is such an accuser. You know, I feel I have a word for somebody here this morning. The devil has been in your ear saying you're less than, you're not enough. Can can I just release something into your life? God is not expecting perfection. He's looking for progress. Are you progressing in your faith? Are you becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus? Are you being changed? Do you see your life being transformed? Because here's the reality. Paul walked in this confidence and faith was being built up that God is not finished with you yet. You're a work in progress. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say, God's not finished with you yet. You're a work in progress. That's so good. That's so good for us to hear because here's what I want to end with is just like, 
Rockstar and bazooka gum was a must-have for my trip. The trip of life. God is telling us that joy is a must-have because we're all going to go through seasons of trouble and darkness and uncertainty. But God, through his power, through his living inside of us, says, I'm going to give you an upgrade for your attitude that no matter what surrounds your life, you are going to be able to choose joy and you are going to see victory in the season of darkness. That even though everybody else is being shaken, you won't be shaken. Matter of fact, I may put a little jump in your step and a little laugh in your face so that you can say, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Because in the end, I know that Jesus has already won my victory. And I'm not fighting for victory anymore. I'm fighting from a place of victory. The battle has already been won by Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let's declare this in worship. That when our enemy surrounds us, I want you to know that God is surrounding our enemy. That no weapon formed against us will prosper. That if God is for us, who can be against us? And it's these truths that we hold on to, that we choose an attitude of joy. Father, I pray as we worship your name, God, that you would give us an upgrade of our attitude. God, we recognize we are not where we want to be, but God, we thank you that we're not where we used to be. We worship you. We honor you. Help us to choose joy in whatever situations that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, church. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. Mm-hmm.